Right, welcome to the podcast and thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Um, I know you're busy since yesterday. What what what, what happened yesterday? Ah, uh, yesterday I went to World Refugee Day in Porto. Ah, so mm. how was it? So oh, it was actually great. Uh, we were invited to do run activities, and um, yeah, and we're running activities almost nonstop for two and a half, three hours long. So oh, yeah. that's that's cool. Yeah. So. It, is it an annual thing? World, World Refugee Day is an annual thing, yeah. yeah. Um, Pride Lens particularly gets invited quite mm. a lot mm. for World Refugee Day, mostly to run activities to engage the children who've migrated here and their families as well. Ah. So, yeah, right. so we had a, a whole space for activities and we did quite a lot. In fact, it's actually on our YouTube page. You're welcome to check it out. Talk to me about yourself. How, who is uh, Moses? Well, I originally came from Ghana. I am uh, the product of um, a Nigerian father and a Ghanaian mother. And um, yeah. That, that's Africa. That's in West, in West Africa. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm just from, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just from one small part of it, which is from the Western from side. The West, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> so yeah. And uh, yeah, I grew up in a small village, you mm. know, um, uh, in my home country. And uh, yeah, at the age 16, decided to. Uh, take on a bit more challenge. Let's mm. be honest. I was quite a stubborn young man. You know, I uh, I wanted to, I guess, if you will, uh, take on the challenges of the world on my own. Mm. You know, I wanted to do things for myself. I didn't want things to be done for me. Any any parent will want that for yeah. their children. But mm. uh, this is something for some reason I wanted personally. Personally, yeah. So um, yeah, so I put myself in college in uh, in the UK. Uh, in the Park Lane College, uh, where I studied and then transferred my course to Australia in New South Wales, in Newcastle. Did it for a while as well, transferred it again here. I just kept moving around. And um, yeah, and at some point while I was studying, mm -hmm. I was also working with young people because working with young people was a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed the idea of working with other people, but young people particularly appealed to the course of the energetic nature that mm -hmm. comes with the work. Um, yeah, and then of course, um, yeah, I was here in 2004, studied for a while, worked for other establishments, and created Pridelands um, in 2006. So what did you uh, study? Uh, I did medical science. So, medical science. So yeah, that's right. is it related with the work you're doing with Pridelands? Or Not really, no. Uh, it's actually far from it. Oh. I mean, yeah, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to, my hope was to actually get into pediatrics and you know and treat young people but um let's be honest the work of a doctor personally from my opinion it's mm. a bit um it's a bit dull was a bit dull for me you know mm. um i like the idea of engaging young people yeah. but i wanted to engage young people on the active side of things um and after studying for a while i realized i, I would get half of what i've always wanted to do which is work with young people but the other half was missing, which was the energetic side and the social development mm -hmm. aspect of it. So, um, yeah, so I gave up my degree um, in 2006. In the same year, I decided to create Pridelands, mm -hmm. you know, and um, yeah, and let's just say it all started from a drawing on paper like everything else, and then it just grew over time. So yeah, and evolved on its own. So So yeah. did you start it by yourself? First? I did, yes, yeah. yes. Um creating I created Pridelands from scratch. In fact, um as a student, you don't really have 
the capital to start anything. Yeah, you know, uh, which is normal. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I had a vision that I wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm. I've worked for other establishments. You know, in in Australia, for example, I was a senior instructor in fifteen different ex uh, extreme sports. Uh, in England, I was a group leader for a company called PGL. Here in New Zealand, I worked for other agencies, and I realized everything they were doing was was good, but it wasn't good enough to address what is happening in society because the fact is young people change and i don't think I'd, in my opinion at the time i didn't think organizations were catering for the changes that were taking place in young people basically if you go to any ordinary social development program right now everything that it, that we did five, 10, maybe 15 years ago, they're still doing it. Yeah. It hasn't changed. But the fact is, young people have. And it doesn't really cater for that need. So I wanted to do something to address that need and that change and yeah. that evolution. And um, <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, <clears throat> I did not, um, at first I didn't really think it was possible to change a company or to evolve a company to match the changes in young people. But actually I realized it was a lot easier than I thought. And I've been doing it ever since in the last 12 years. So yeah. What made you decide that it's about changing the, uh, doing some changes around the youth and the kids versus you making a difference on a different area what made you decide that kids are, are are the ones that you should be focusing on rather than other aspects of areas that require support as well in the first two years when i was running when i created pride lands it was one of the most challenging years of my life because trying to implement change that people haven't seen before is difficult people are, are quite adverse to change because it's new it's risky and it's something that you have to buy into and while it was challenging, I, you know, I did not, I didn't make the bold effort to make that change. But after two years uh, of observing what I was doing and realizing I've become part of the problem rather than the solution, I decided, right, it's necessary because the young people I was working with, they were, they were deriving, they, were, they derived absolutely no benefit. Right. from my service mm -hmm. so it's all about benefits so yes the parents get the benefits because they get to go to work the young person there is no benefit for them because they have to go to before school after school holiday program and so mm -hmm. on and go to school but no one is telling them why it's important why it's right. necessary no one is demonstrating how it could benefit them mm -hmm. no one is mm -hmm. it, the, it's the... it was just the norm it was basically do it because it's important but no one is telling them really why right. so i decided it was about time mm -hmm. to redesign pride lands in a way that young people would derive that benefit they're looking for but not just the benefit for them but the benefit needed to help them meet the challenges mm -hmm. of the world mm -hmm. because if you look at young people now and especially now in this climate you notice a lot of young adults who are what 18 19 20 some some in their late 20s mm. are struggling but no one is asking why huh? mm. no one is looking at where they are now and tracing it back no. to right. see 
what has caused it. No, there's, no one is doing any of that because people are thinking it's just the norm. It can't be the norm. If it was the norm, how is it that then, in the last decade, the young people I've worked with and created a change for them are doing far better now than, yes. than, than others? They're doing far, far better. They know how to cook. Right. For themselves. Which is the daily living. Which yeah. is, that's right, it's life yeah. skills, isn't life it? Skills, yeah. mm. They know how to uh, adapt to challenges. So if something changes, they know how to improvise and still live a normal life. But these days, many young adults who never had the privilege of accessing the services I have provided and the changes I've made are struggling, don't know how to cook, they have anxiety, they have depression, some who have other medical conditions like, uh, you know, ADD, ADHD, you know, you know, and those who fall in the spectrum, you know, in terms of autism as well, struggle more because no one has made the effort to teach them these things because people did not believe it was possible. So you think by understanding the root cause of mm -hmm. why, let's say, a person is doing this as a behavior yeah it's not about a person right yeah. it's what has uh i mean what has resulted to that situation right precisely it's the root cause the problem the problem is in society is people when people focus on the young person they look at the mm -hmm. young person but you should not be looking at the young person you need to look at what's around the young person when it comes to young people nothing has changed nature Nature has done what it's meant to do. It's mm -hmm. basically maintain the status quo for young people. Young people are only changing because of the changes around them. That's it. They're simply adapting to the changing environment, environment yeah. which is what's required mm -hmm. for them to survive and do well. They have to change. So naturally, as they change, what we do as adults on the outside must follow that change and that trend. For example, Technology. Technology is evolving so fast. So young people are trying to meet that change very quickly. But the problem is there is a side effect. And that side effect is it can be very addictive. It can, be, it can create a sense of boredom, cause a sense of withdrawal, and so on and so forth. So it needs to be regulated. It right. needs to be managed. It needs to be given to the young person at an appropriate time and educating the young person how to control and manage and stay on top of it right. rather mm -hmm. than the technology mm -hmm. staying on top of them. Mm -hmm. But then we're not doing any of that because we are thinking, well, you know, that's where technology is going. So we have no choice. I think it's silly. Many, the, the young people are not the problem. And mm -hmm. that is the problem with us as adults in society. We look at a young person as the problem, but they are not the problem. The problem is what's outside around them. Mm -hmm. If we can educate and teach the young person how to manage the situations on the outside, life will be as normal as you want it to be. And easier, perhaps, to parents. Much easier. Exactly, yes. Much, much easier. I mean, if you choose to be a parent, life will only be easy if, if your family is going through an easy period. But then, as you know, life sometimes throws a bit of a curveball happens, here yeah. and there, which yeah. happens. Yeah. So therefore, as human beings, one of the things human beings are very good at is adapting to changes. We often change our environment to meet what we need. But in this case, as you can see, we need to adapt ourselves back to what the environment right. requires rather than the other way around.
So in this case, if you have a young person who is who has a medical condition, you can't force the environment to meet the young person. Mm -hmm. You must educate the young person to adapt to that environment because the environment is not about to change. Because what the, what the environment is doing, the environment to move at the pace that it, it wants to go. So technology, for example, if you decide right, <clears throat> technology is the problem. You can't decide right. No more technology. You can imagine what will happen in the world if yeah. you take away technology. You know, it will cause chaos and panic mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So there are certain things you just can't change. It's like moving backwards. <laughs> Precisely. You, everyone will feel you're moving backwards. So you can't just take it away. But what you can do is train the young person to get a handle or a hold of the, the challenges that are changing around them. Because it's more than possible. And it doesn't have to be structural. It doesn't have to be something you have to teach in school and so on. You can make it in a fun way. You can make it educational. We're very good at that. And that is what we need to focus on. That's what we really need to do. We're talking about change. Let's talk about Pride Lights. What, okay. um, can, we, can you walk me through about Pride Lights? Sorry. I, no, no. Um, ignore, I do apologize. That's okay. No, no, no. It's <laughs> no. okay because right. um, um, today is um, no, no one calls me on a Sunday. Okay. Except, so if, it's, uh, except if it's a fam family members. Okay. Yeah. Right. So Go. let's focus more on Pride Lens. Okay. The structure of Pride Lens. How okay. would you structure it to make sure that our society, mm. our kids, right. or whoever will be enrolling to your um, to your center, okay. will be like uh, prepared? Or you're going to how how are you, you preparing kit, them? Kitted for. Yeah, yeah. How um, are you preparing them? Okay. Well, I mean, um, originally, Pride Lens was designed to be what you call a, a what do you call it, um, an out of school recreational program. So mm -hmm. it it was it started off as before after school holiday programs, which caters for the needs of young people. But then we got to a point where I realized we you know it's not meeting the needs of young people as we've always said it there were certain young people that it actually excluded but it wasn't intentional <clears throat> and like most things in society it's not constructed or designed to be exclusive or intentionally done so but you have to actually pay close attention so in this case i realized that there has to be a way we can reorganize this to accommodate every young person that needs uh, care, that needs social development, that needs the life skills and so on and so forth. But before you can do all that, you have to create the infrastructure for it. So it wasn't just before after school holiday program. We realized there are certain young people who require more support to give almost like a bridge. You're creating a bridge because for a while, society has left them outside in the cold. So what we do is to create a bridge to connect where they are so that they can come across to where we are and then basically feel integrated. So I transformed Pride Lands into what you call a social integrative program. What that means is any young person that comes who enrolls at Pride Lands, we look at their needs and we change things in Pride Lands to accommodate them. And then eventually they simply adapt in that environment. And when they adapt in that environment, they Flourish, they, yeah. they flourish. Yeah. It's as simple as that. But um, m m some or some groups can't seem to 
or don't, for some reason, don't feel like making changes inside. You know, they want the young person to change, but the young person can't change. Mm. The young person, especially, may have certain uh, conditions that um, prevents them from changing because, let's be honest, that change has already happened for them. So in this case, for most young people, especially uh, young people who are who have certain medical condition like autism, they, I believe, they actually have, they, they, they may have taken, I believe they may have taken the next step in our, in our evolution. They seem to be, their senses are a lot more heightened. They seem to be a lot smarter. They seem to be a lot sensitive to the, you know, what's happening yeah. in the world and what's around them. So this, their senses are a lot more amplified than ours is. Mm. The challenge here is people fear to integrate young people like that because they feel it's what you call a too hard basket, which I think is ridiculous because if, if, my, if my assumption is true that these young people are in the next step of our evolution, then we must understand how they've got to that point. But the only way you can do that is, is, is welcome them is integrate them, not exclude them. Because if you exclude them, they don't understand why, they don't know why, because everything about them is normal. The only thing that's different is heightening senses. So by changing the environment so that they can be, they, they can come in and gradually releasing it to what it normally is, you give them room to adapt. If they've already adapted to that point anyway, then they can easily adapt to anything below that. And it has actually happened in my program many times. And so, like I said, something called the bridge. So, the bridge, the, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the purpose of the bridge is to allow the young person to be able to come into the environment that we're in. And in doing so, we created, <clears throat> excuse me, we created things like one-on-one -on -one support, mentoring services, and so on and so forth. But some of these young people want something a lot more adventurous. So we mm. created Adventure Weekends. We created the Pride Escape Program and so on. And as they grow, their need grows as well. So we realized they wanted to be in leadership roles. So we created the internship program so that they're in leadership roles to match where they yeah, are in, yeah. in terms of the development okay. so that they can be able to learn to be leaders within mm. their own right. And our leadership role does not dictate how they should lead, but rather to utilize what's already there. The leadership quality that is with, that's already in them is basically giving them the opportunity to be able to express them. And then also beyond that point, the next step is going for a job that fits their criteria. Because these days, many young people go for jobs that is all about money. They don't understand the concept of mm. money. They believe money can solve everything. But you and I both know that is not necessarily true. If you're not happy in the job you're doing, the money will taste like ash. NYU. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the money will taste like ash. Yeah. And you will squander it because, one, you have no... You, do, you don't... Um, don't value it, right? You don't value it. Yeah. That's right. There's no value in it because it's just money. Because, you know, to, when you squander it today, tomorrow you go back to the job you don't like. And the only reason why you're there is to make that money again and repeat that process again. Right. So for us, the aim is why motivate them to go for money, but rather motivate them to go for something they are passionate, passionate. about, yeah. something they are interested in. 
if they can go into an in, in, in another environment, which mm. is called a transition, so we transition them from them from Pride Lands into another environment when they turn 17. And the purpose of that transition is so that when they go into that environment, they can thrive because they're, where, they're in a space where they love, yeah. a space they have made it, uh, they've chosen, they've made that choice to choose. And when the money comes, the money is extra. And they put value on it because they know that they put effort in that. Right? That's right. Yeah. And if you value something so much, what do you do? You protect it. Yeah. You love it. You appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You have a sense of gratitude. And when money comes out of that sense of gratitude, when money comes out of it, you value the money more because you worked hard, but also you're happy. People underestimate the joy of happiness. They believe happiness is on the basis of money and material things. But these young people, their value, we ensure that they understand that their superpower, their value is what's inside and not what's on the outside. And giving them these lessons helps them move forward and gives them the confidence to be able to challenge certain things and not allow people to whisper other things that perhaps may sway them out of track. Right. And uh, someone once told like, uh, you can't buy happiness with money, but I think they just don't know where to shop. <laughs> so I, I was just like, oh yeah, maybe they just don't know where to shop. That's why they couldn't find happiness. Well you, well, you can't. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. <clears throat> what is money? Money is currency. It's yeah. a piece of paper that has some sort of value. And face. And face. That's right. And design. And, that's right. And design. Yeah. But the fact is, if you look at many, if you look at a person who has money, the question is, are they happy? Can they go outside and buy that happiness? Say they buy something that makes them happy. Mm -hmm. How long would that happiness last until they feel they have to buy? They, can't, they have to keep going back to buy more to maintain their happiness. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just a repetitive. It's pattern. a repetitive thing. Yeah. But a young person who comes to the conclusion that. I am happy within myself who I am. I know my strength. I know my character. I understand myself. And I can go into an environment and thrive. And out of it, I can make a living. There's a difference between earning an honest living than just earning. Earning, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So an honest living. So take me, for example. I created Pride Lands from scratch. I knew nothing about business. My passion, my joy, my inspiration was derived from working with young people. The reason why I've been able to create the necessary infrastructure to help these young people thrive is because of my passion and desire to make a difference for them. Because I understand. I've worked with these young people long enough that I can see it, I understand. I communicate with them on a day-to-day -day basis and they give me the information needed for me to build what's needed so that other young people will not struggle like the way they have in the past. And it has worked. But it's worked to the point that I make an honest living and I'm happy with what I do. I'm actually happy. I live, I mean, look at the state of my office for starters. You can see that this is not an ordinary office. Yes. But anyone who walks in here would think, wow. Do you know what I mean? That's my first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, You know? Yeah. They would think, wow. And this mm. is something I put together over the years. Mm. I find random things. Mm. I bring it here. And many young people <clears throat> who come here love to touch them. 
love to explore. Mm. You know, it's basically a, any any child's playground. But I'm hardly here myself. I've created this space in the hope that when I come and work here, or if I have to work here, mm. then I can work anywhere I want. I usually don't sit behind my desk. I can sit here and work here. I can sit over there on okay. the couch, mm. even up there. That's why those chairs are there. Sometimes I just want to sit out there and then just work. I enjoy working, but I work for these children because to me, creating something that can help any child adapt in our changing environment, and that's the thing. It's changing, and it's changing so fast. Take the phone, for example, you have on your table, the touch screen. How long ago was it created? Not so long ago. And technology has evolved. So many things have evolved and changed. But young people are desperately trying to catch up. But they can't without the environment. We, need to, we as adults have to create the environment for them. It's our duty. It's our role. It's our responsibility. Yeah. But if we allow our personal selfishness, and dare I say it, greed gets mm. in the way, we forget about mm. them. And when these children grow up, unfortunately, they will repeat the cycle. Yeah, I understand that. And uh, I think I agree with you with uh, what you said earlier when you say like uh, this uh, neurodiverse kids are mm. the next generation, which mm. is kind of like based on my observation mm. too. Mm. Like I'm observing, uh, I'm interviewing other parents yeah. and I, I'm uh, talking to other friends mm. and at least one of them mm. would know that a couple of people who are neurodiverse. Yes. Like, yeah. It's like there is too many of them now yeah. that we cannot hide. No, you can't hide yeah. them. Yeah. Right? So it's not different from, I mean, I think this is probably going a bit too far here. Yeah, yeah, but we, we, it's, not, <laughs> it's not different from some of the Hollywood sci-fi movies you see, whereby you hear about mutants. You know, right, that, right. that's an extreme end where people are shooting lasers out of their eyes mm. and people can control other people's minds. Yes, that's a bit too extreme. But people, for some reason, fear the things they don't understand. You know, so if you don't understand, why not you just ask? You know, why fear it? There's nothing to fear. These, take um, some of these um, <clears throat> some of these people who've helped shape the world and make the world what it is. Many of them had some some sort of they were, they were many of them were in the spectrum. Yeah. So Steve Jobs. Yeah. He was in the spectrum. Yeah. Einstein. Mm. He was in the spectrum. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. All these people, clever minds, who've helped us understand the universe, the way the world works, and so on and so forth. These people were in the spectrum, but what they did is they tried everything possible to hide it from the world because they knew the world would never understand or listen right, to yeah. them. If they were to show too many signs of who they really are. But the fact is, it's been proven that many of these people mm. were on the spectrum. All these clever minds, mm. they are in fact the next evolution of, 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 of the human race. And they're more sensitive, more aware of what's going on. So why fear things like that? Why exclude young people like that? These are young people who may be able to give us the answers we need. Yeah to survive yeah. <laughs> on on this rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? They may uh, they may know and understand things you and I as ordinary I people yeah. simply don't. But then put all that aside. Why exclude them anyway? Yeah, they're part of the society. They're part of society. <laughs> they're children. And that's what I'll never understand. Mm. Mm. Why exclude them anyway? We talk about being a family. We talk about 
a team of what five million or maybe about five and a half. I mean, we don't know what number it is now, mm-hmm. but the fact is, we have come to the point where we just talk about these things, but our action mm-hmm. says otherwise. These young people, they are a part of our society. They came from us. Yeah, it is our role, our part, our responsibility to see to their needs, and we need to change our environment to allow them to come in. It's not going to take anything from us. I'm, my center runs as normal as any other center, literally. In fact, it runs better, far better. We run, we do life skills, we do cooking programs, we do social development trips every week. We run very active activities and all these young people participate well, as normal as it can be, literally normal. I've had people come in there, and when I tell them that more than half of the children here are neurodiverse, they say, wow, they can't even tell who's new and who, who, who is and who isn't. Is that important? I mean, the word neurodiverse, where did that even come from? Does it matter? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just a, while, I, <laughs> while I know it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a labeling, it's a medical term to try and, <clears throat> I guess, explain a child's situation or an individual's situation mm. but it's now become a tool to exclude people i hate to say it it has yeah it's happening yeah it is happening it's become a tool to mm. exclude people. oh you're nervous oh i don't know if you can be able to do this job because you know and then you you exclude them using it as a tool i mean where have you seen that before if you look back in our history many superpowered nation or superpowered individuals have used it as a reason to exclude, you know, ethnicity, cultures, races, and mm. so on and so forth. It hasn't changed. We as human beings, unfortunately, have not changed. We just are simply using other things to try and exclude people. These young people, they're amazing because the ones I work with have made me realize certain things I never imagined I would even realize myself because of the way they make you think. They will share certain things with you and you will go, huh, I never actually realized that. You know what I mean? They're the most logical <laughs> person. They're log- they are aware. Yeah, they are aware. You know, yeah. and they can make you realize certain things and you'd be thinking, wow. Mm. I mean, why wouldn't you want to communicate with such a being that is, let's be honest, one step ahead of you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. And so what if they are one step ahead of you? It's, it's amazing, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, so in terms of the programs that you have, um, how would you uh, know, I know this is just another labeling, but mm. in terms of like when you're <coughs> accepting applicants from, mm. from parents, mm. um, do you interview them about yeah. if they are autistic or if they, are, they have ADHD? Because parents would be concerned like, all right, I'm going to put my kids in a center. Yeah. You know, basically, if you have, sometimes they have neurological challenges. Yeah. And they have different needs mm. as well from the neurotypical children. Yeah. So how would you identify them so that at least we are able to set up the whole class and or provide them that support, yeah, the yeah. direct support that, mm. that uh, involves so, that? Well, the, we've realized that there are two kinds of parents when they enroll. Mm. So usually the first class of parents often will disclose their information mm. and ask the question. Will they be? Will this be possible for my child? Mm. Can they? Um, can they be integrated? Can can they participate? Mm. We'll say yes, of course. Yeah. 
and we encourage parents to share as much as they can with us. Some parents, of course, fear that they will be excluded. And because of that fear, they unfortunately don't just, you know, disclose everything, but we identify it. And then we go to them and say, look, it's okay. We are not the, we are not in the business of excluding people. But if you tell us what you know, we will help your child. We will help your son or daughter. Just tell us everything because we keep it confidential. Because we understand the fear of these parents. I mean, what, I mean why should any parent fear to provide uh, quality care for their mm. own child? Why they, you know, mm. they should not fear, but they do. So for those who, of course, give us all that information, when they give us the information, we meet the child and say hi's and hello's and basically try to understand what was the first support they need. For some of these children, they need, they're often um, anxious. So they often cling to parents because they are a bit anxious about the environment because it looks very active, it looks very energetic. Everyone is happy, but that's good because when they look into that kind of environment, they're thinking, ooh, I want to be a part of that, but I'm a bit worried. I don't know where to start. So we serve as the starting point. So we let them know, it's okay. Take my hand. I will show you around. You don't need to play. Just take my hand. And this is your way of showing that I'm non-threatening. So usually, in my case, being quite a big man, I often yeah. just sit on the floor. I like to mm -hmm. sit on the floor. I just sit on the floor. And I, say, and, I, and I just sit there with them and get them to look around. And I say, come. You know, take my hand. I'll show you around. It's a step-by-step -step process. Everything is a step-by-step. -step. And then when you show them around, <clears throat> they look around, but they feel safe because they have, they're protected by a you know, big security man, you know, so, <laughs> so nothing can happen to them, you know. So right. take their hand and they go. And some of them, because of how, it depends on how big or small they are. So the big ones usually often like to gravitate strangely to the little ones. Mm -hmm. So we sometimes get a bit of a small welcoming party and get some of the little ones to show the big ones around. And because the big ones, you know, they love to engage, but they feel more comfortable engaging something that is less threatening. Right. And having little children is incredibly less threatening. And that's a good way to integrate the big one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the reverse, the little ones will go with other little ones. And other times we get some of the interns who are big, to show the little ones around or other big ones around. But we as a staff try and gauge where the starting point will be. Will it be with us? Will it be with an intern? Or will it be with one of the little children creating kind of a bit of a small welcoming yeah. party to show them around? So every child is different. Every child who comes to the program initially is different. So we treat them differently, individually, because no one child, no, no two children are the same regardless of whether they share the same condition or not. Mm. But they are, because their upbringing is different, their character is different, everything is different. So we look at them from one person to, you know, from person to person. And everyone needs to be integrated differently. Right. Some will require a mentor. Some will, in fact, not come out of the house at all. So we mm. send a mentor to the house. So you have cases like that? We have lots of cases like that. Okay. Where the young person, it, some, in fact, there was this boy I met uh, five weeks ago who had not come. He he is eight years old, hasn't come out of the house since he was young, which is quite long because of his anxiety. So I went to meet him. I went to his house, and on that day, after fifteen minutes, 
of just having a chat to him, I was able to take him to water workshop. Wow. <laughs> I was able to take him to a cafe. I was able to take him to, what was the other? Ah, time zone. So all these places that are loud and boisterous and quite, you know, lively. He was so amazed because he's never been to Water Workshop. So that's his first time. That was his first time coming out. Wow. Yeah. So the mom, the family were quite worried. They didn't think it was ever going to happen because that was day one. And naturally, when I showed up, they thought, oh, my God, this is definitely not going to happen. Yeah. And I just sat on the floor, started having a chat, chat, chat. I told him about all these possibilities mm. of places we could go. That's one of the things we can do that has been in the movies and so on. You're going to love the prop. And then there's this arcade place and mm. so on. And he just opened the door and took a peek. And I said, and I looked at him and said, yeah, if you want to see it, my van is outside. You can go for a ride. You can, you can Stay close to me as much as you want, and we can do this. So just the two of you? Just two of Wow. For the first time? For the first time. Eight years of his life. He was eight. And he came with me. It was brilliant. I loved it. We got a free cake as well at one of the restaurants that we went to. So, you know, and yeah, it was so nice to actually be able to do that for this young boy. And like I said, every young person needs a starting point. I think for him, the biggest curiosity was my hair. He's never seen any person with my kind of hair. I'm with the drag. So he actually loved touching it. Wow. He asked if he can touch it. I said, yeah, sure. And he was touching. He says, how, do you do, how, do you, how did you do this? I said, it just grew. And then I tied the ends. And then oh, yeah. I said, where the lines are, are once upon a time where it started. And it just mm -hmm. grew right up. And he was like, wow. He says, can I get my hair like that? I said, well, we'll have to give it a good effort if you ever, if you ever right. want to get your hair like that. So curiosity. Mm. It's one of the biggest things. Every young person is curious. Every young person wants to play, wants to engage. That nature of play, that is the bait. So, if, because knowing that every human being, being, you know, playing is our original root. We want to play, we want to laugh, we want to smile, we want to be happy. That's what I tap into. And that's what I'm looking for. So enticing them with such adventure, it wasn't difficult to get him out. Uh -huh. It wasn't. Maybe you have superpowers or something. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't say superpowers. <laughs> it's, more so, it's more so truth. Truth. And because a young person, if you, if you try to manipulate a young person, yeah. they, may, they will not trust you. They will know something is wrong because you're making it sound a bit too nice. Mm, mm. But me, I said, look, you know, it's exciting. He, I mean, this young boy did say to me, is it safe out there? I said, well, there are cars, but we'll be in a car, so we'll be safe. There's mm -hmm. something called a seatbelt. So I explain the details, but I make sure that the truth is always there. I ensure that I don't, you know, you don't focus too much on the negative, nor do you focus too much on the positive. You stay mm -hmm. in the middle. Yeah. And because if, because if you take a young person out and they realize that what you're saying doesn't quite fit, then they'll lose a bit of trust in you. They're smart. They know if they know. Well, of course they know. Yeah. Because most of the communication is body language. It's not what you say. It's mm. all in body language. And I just answer their questions. You keep it simple. You don't exaggerate. You just keep it simple and simply just tell them how it is. And the props. You know, someone said, you know, he's asked me, would the prop hurt you? I said, no, not, I mean, but if it falls on you, yeah, it could because it's big. Yeah. It's made out of something called fiberglass, some sort of strong plastic. And I said, all oh, right. I said, you know, just curiosity, mm. but 
sharing truth to some extent by saying to them, if you want to see more, I can show you. Why tell you if I can show you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So giving them the opportunity to come and do. Because many of these young people, they've been on devices for so many for years. Some, yeah. Because that's where we that's, all, exactly, <laughs> that's the window of their world. They've been on devices for so mm. many years. And it keeps them safe. They feel they can live, the, you know, live their world by simply being at home and staying on devices because it's safe. You can see it, but you don't engage. But I say to them, life is far more interesting when you actually can see it and touch it and enjoy it. And naturally, with my wonderful phone, I can show them some of the things I've done, some of the activities I've run, and then they're going to go, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I have something present I can show them to try and connect with the world they already connected to, and then say to them, I can show you this if you want, if you want to see it, if you want to touch it. Mm come and see you know and because for me you know curiosity is the key play is the is the promise and if they know this is going to be good because there's play involved there's fun involved there is the a little bit of an unknown but exciting they will come and that's the joy how many uh centers yeah i have three three major centers yes and all of those three centers are uh, applying the same concept or idea. I mean, yeah. same structure. Yeah, they have the same structure, but they do it in their own way. What do you mean about that? Well, so in my center, for example, I have a way of doing what I do. So in my center, I do my trips on every Wednesdays. In mm -hmm. the center in Wilton, they do theirs on Fridays because uh -huh. it fits their structure. Yeah, yeah. In my center, the children are a lot more energetic far more energetic is because that is how I have motivated and encouraged them. In the center in Wilton, for example, they're a little bit more less energetic and less adventurous. But when they come to my center, the attitude change. So they, they like uh, merge into like, there's a, an event like everyone. That's yeah. right. So sometimes, so this coming Wednesday, for example, we have something called Last Supper. So we do that at the end of every term. So the host will be the center in Wilton. Mm -hmm. So the center in the hat and, the cent and my center at Swiss will be going to Wilton to have a last supper. So we have shared meals. We do activities together. We have party food, party drinks, and we all celebrate. All of which are filled with so many neurodiverse children. Yeah. At Pride Lands, I have about 65% oh, neurodiverse children mixed with ordinary children. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it. And they all play and engage very beautifully. Mm -hmm. The nicest thing about the children we have in our programs, they recognize that certain children have different, have mm -hmm. certain quirks, right. but they don't use it against them. That's the beauty. Now, you're probably thinking, is this something that the parents have taught them? Possibly, but it's majorly because we have educated it in them and said to them, our pride lands, everyone is welcome. A pride lens, bullying is not acceptable right. in any shape or form. Mm. We've educated these young people to simply behave like that. Everything to do with young people, whether they're neurodiverse or neurotypical, makes no difference. They're still children. They do what children do. Children don't wake up in the morning and decide to go and hurt people. They don't act like that. It's not, it's not a norm of children. Yeah. That is something an adult would do because mm. that's something they've pre-programmed pre, you know, pre pre yeah. or pre-planned. Young people don't think like that. 
young people play, when things go wrong, you educate them all how to play nicely rather than assuming one is a bully and the other is not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think we as adults, we've, we've gone a bit overboard on classifying children as bullies. These so-called children who perhaps may be bullies, they did not grow up, they were not born bullies. They changed into one because for two reasons, in my opinion. One, because they were not educated to do better. And two, because of the labeling. When you label a child as a bully long enough, it will be a bully. Yeah. There you go. I think I agree with, the, with you on that. Like uh, a child is not born as a bully. Mm. I mean, obviously, a no, child one is is. no one is. <laughs> no one, right? But again, it's the environment around the person. Mm. There must be a reason why the child is acting like that. Yes, there's always a reason. No there's one, always. Yeah, you yeah, will not act like uh, mm. you know. Yeah. without any reason at all. Yeah, and, yeah. With your uh, programs and um, life skills, mm. can you walk me through how you, you know right. the, the well, life skills? Well, the life skills, the major one is, of course, is our cooking program. Mm -hmm. So we change our menus every two weeks. Every two weeks? Every two weeks. Oh. Because at the end of the day, we want them to learn something different. You can't teach a child to cook the same menu for the rest okay. of their... <laughs> like, <again>? You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They'll be bored of it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so many... There are Millions of mm. different recipes. I mean, how many cooking books are there? You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're there. So every two weeks. And the reason why we allow for every two weeks is because one week is the introduction. And the following week is to give them a chance to really have a go at it. Mm. So the first week, they do have a good go at it. Ah. But the second week, re repeating that same menu makes the memory stick. Right, right. Do you see yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it makes that menu taught them stick. Then you go on to the next menu, and so on. So every two weeks. And they love it. They love to cook. Every child loves to cook. I kid you not. Mm -hmm. They love to cook. It's, more, it's like chemistry, basically. It's chemistry. <laughs> you know? Throw things there, taste it, and so on. They learn their lessons when they don't keep an eye on the food and it burns and so on. So this is how you teach them. Yeah. yeah, and so on. And safety as well, you know, aprons and so on and so forth. The other one, of course, in terms of... Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, social, you know, uh, life skills and social development is um, etiquette. You know, um, uh, treating people with with kindness, being kind, the way you speak, how you speak, inside voices, and so on and so forth. But also activities, teaching them that you can make activities exciting by simply not doing the same thing again by learning as well. So in my program. I have, the children are broken into four teams. Each four team comprises about six to seven children. And, and in each group, they have, they've nominated their own captain. And the captain is responsible for their own little group. We compete in activities in all these little group. Mm -hmm. And they earn, they earn points, depending on uh, the games we play, whether they win, they win or lose. And they lose points for breaking the rules. So they basically, it's kind of like a small village or a community. So they manage each other. This is our way of teaching them mm. to work with people. It could be people you may not get along with, or it right. could be people you, could, you would get along with because every term, they reshuffle. Literally, mm. they pick new teams. New teams and new captain? New captains. Yeah. So it's teaching them how to, it's teaching them to give them opportunity to actually lead the way they want to lead. Uh, giving them, giving everyone opportunity to uh, have their leaderships to test the leadership skills, 
giving everyone the opportunity to work with different people. Right. Because the truth is, one day, they will go into the real community and they will face these things in jobs, in the community itself, engaging other people. These are real life scenarios. We've simply downgraded to, yeah, into yeah. that so that they can learn how to engage people socially by doing it in the program. Reshuffling them ensures that there is variety yeah. so that they have opportunity to meet different personalities. Right. So that they know how to engage different personalities. Because yeah. if you don't teach them these things, when they go into the real world and they can't engage a personality they've never encountered, that can cause a problem. The reason why many people have problems at work and so on, because they are personalities they've never come across before. So they have to learn very quickly on how, to, how they can work with a certain personality and so on and so forth. Um, the other one, of course, is activities being able to be creative creativity is not about coloring and drawing i mm. think we've we as people have lived in a world whereby we believe that coloring and drawing is creativity only no 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 there are other aspects of it more there's far millions of aspects of it so one of the ones which is um is running activities mm. so the children in my program love activities yeah they love activities that involves a lot of thinking teamwork and individual individual challenges so when the activities, when they run, in fact, when they're running activities, they, the children in my program have come up with we, this term. We've done 76 activities, oh. just this term alone, which we have one week of it to go, which is this coming week. Yeah. And um, by then, I'm, I believe we'll hit the 80 mark or just above. That's eight, there'll be 80 activities in one term. More than half of those activities, the children created. Now you tell me how they did that. It's all from their mind. So what they did was, when they first came to Pridelands, we introduced them to a couple of our activities and motivated, encouraged them, and let them know that you can do the same. Now, of course, naturally, they'll say, well, how can I come up with something so elaborate? And we say to them, it's more than possible. Give it a go. Think about it. And we also give them pointers of how they can make change again. So many of the games we run, they're very old. Yeah. They've just evolved over time. When you say old, they have been... They've been done, done. before, but in a different format. Right, right. They've, been, they've all been done before, but in a different mm -hmm. format. All we've done is taken it, looked at it, changed the name, changed how long it needs to be done, made it harder, introduced different resources. Right, right. So we've basically created a hybrid of a very old game. That's it. That's all we've done. And that's what we teach these children. But they say children love challenges. So if you do the same activity with all the resources, everything exactly the same, it loses its luster. Mm. It's old, it's stale, nobody wants to do it again. But if you make it harder, if you make it challenging, if you take away resources so that the children have to think a lot harder to try and beat that challenge, that's what makes it, makes it exciting. Right, right. And the most important part as well, Never let them win. What do you mean by never let them win? Every parent would love would 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 love to let their child win a game ah, to make them yeah. feel better. Okay. But how can you teach them to challenge themselves if all you're going to do is let them win? Mm. 
It's like playing basketball and let the child shoot from time to time. Like pretend you're blocking it, but but you're not blocking it yeah. because one day when that child plays the real game, do you think their opponent will do the same? Right, I get what you mean. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. En encouraging children to take on challenges is important, and making them aware that taking on a challenge is not about winning or losing; it's about trying again. That's what we're teaching them. That it's not about winning or losing. Because the thing is, you will win. Yeah, you will win some. You will lose some. Seems like somebody's desperate to contact oh, yeah, me. Yeah. Can I take yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is sure. that all right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, we'll not, we'll not uh, stop it. All right. Uh, going back to that, uh, uh, to your uh, program, mm -hmm. uh, let's just uh, talk about kids in okay. general, right. rather than just isolating mm -hmm. the diverse versus uh, neurotypical kids. So if someone becomes like, uh, especially, I've seen your reviews, they're amazing. Like, yeah. uh, you're doing anger management and stuff like that. <laughs> I've seen that uh, having a principal yeah. uh, good reviews yeah. like wow this is something different you yeah. know so heading towards that how just give me an example maybe um, how do you manage uh, if there's a, a child who has anger um, you know for certain reason regardless mm -hmm. of what reason that would be if they're in your center how do you think if suddenly the child becomes um, overwhelmed overwhelmed and yeah. now you, the child cannot manage the what uh, could be their internal yeah. feelings or something and becomes overwhelmed. How do you look at that? I mean, I've, I've looked at <clears throat> many people and the way they handle most of these children. They seem to be using the same tactics every time. Mm. In our case, it depends on what we know about the child. Yeah, yeah. It also depends on um, <clears throat> what the child really needs and what has caused the problem. So you don't just assume that a child has got angry um, for the sake of getting angry. Children get angry for a reason. It could be something that may be small, that can be resolved, and it could be a misunderstanding. A lot of things that happen between children, it's, a huge, it's always a misunderstanding. You know, and, and, and usually children don't even know how it even started. Once upon a time, you know, it could start off as a small game that they were playing, and then all of a sudden it takes a quick turn. And then things just go sour. And it happens. Yeah, it's very normal. But when you have a child who perhaps may have a, who may have had, for whatever reason, has had a history of anger difficulties, challenges, and so on, then immediately people jump to conclusion. And I think that's a terrible mistake. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake that people unfortunately impose yeah. on young people. So in our case, if a child were to react, the first thing we do is to try and cool the situation down, stop it from escalating any further. So in my case, from my experience, I just step in and then I pause everyone, almost try to freeze time by simply saying, right, start counting down from 10. When I start counting down from 10, everyone seems to freeze and look around and are quiet and calm and then everything just pauses. Once it's paused, I tell, I then give my instruction as to where, which group should go where, and then the child in question, I tell them to take a walk with me. Oh. Because the thing is, when there's chaos in a space, because that's what it will be, it will feel like chaos. When a child is already, when a child is upset, and if in their space is quite noisy and almost chaotic, I mean, 
For young people, they love a chaotic environment. It's fun. It's exciting. It's almost like a party. But when they're distressed, that party turns into chaos because they, they don't, they're no longer in that same mindset they were when it felt like a party. It's a different mindset. Then agitation, chaos, and stress kicks in. So in order to minimize or, well, basically in order to minimize, you, I call it freezing time. And to freeze time, you have to stop everyone from moving. To do that, you count from 10. And then everyone will freeze. 10 downwards, right? 10 downwards. Because nobody knows what will happen when it hits zero. <laughs> it's like you're interrupting the pattern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. So, <laughs> so when you do that, the children will focus on you. They always will. And you have to have the kind of personality to be able to pull these things off. You can't talk over children. If you try to talk while a full room of children are talking, you will not get anywhere. Right. right. So you need to freeze time. And to do that, you count from 10 to 0. Mm -hmm. And then when that happens, you tell, then give the instruction as to who needs to go where. Break, it's almost like a cloud. Break, Break up, up the cloud. Yeah. Focus on the young person in question. And you tell them, it's okay. Talk mm -hmm. to me about it. I want to understand. For many young people, they just want someone to understand their pain. They want someone to understand something has gone wrong. And they need a way forward. Their intent is not to cause harm. But rather, you need to calm them down, give them a chance to explain, but also help them understand what happened so that they know that if it does happen again, and the truth is it will, yeah, not just once, twice, a thousand times even, mm. then you explain the pattern to them and let them know, right, this is where it all went wrong. But you know what? It doesn't matter now. Now we'll, make, we'll fix it. Children need to be educated to learn to make amends. We as human beings are prone to mistakes. We will make it whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter how angelic we are. We will make it. And children need to be taught that you will make mistakes. It's how you fix it that matters. For many young people, they fear consequence. And that consequence is as a result or is derived from the fact that Whenever something goes wrong, they feel that they're gonna get into trouble. So they almost feel like there's no way back. And they should, not feel, they should not feel like that. They should not fear that. They should know that, okay, I made a mistake. I'm willing to fix it. That's how they should feel. Yeah. Because if they know there is a way to fix it, then they will be a lot more calmer. Their anxiety will not be too high. They will actually be calm, seriously calm. And they will understand and fix it, and it's a learning pattern, it's a learning process. But if they feel that they will be blamed for what's happened, even though there's a possibility, it's not their mm. fault, because no one is taking them through that journey to understand how it happened, then the anger gets worse. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like taking a bit of their soul, bit by bit, which is unfortunate. Yeah? And if you do that, they'll get angrier and angrier because then they'll get to a point where they'll feel, well, then no one is going to believe me anyway. So what's the ah, point? Ah, right, right. Yeah. You see what no I mean? No one's going to listen. So why, why bother, right? There you go. Do you show them the repercussions as well? Like 
if you continue to do this, mm. this will be the end result. Oh yeah, you have the conversation with them. They need to know what the future the future will be like, okay. especially for children who are neurodiverse in this mm. case, because for children who are neurodiverse, they've been shielded for so long, they've not been taught the meaning of consequence. That is one of the problems because they've been protected by their parents who mm. love them. That <clears throat> consequence has not been uh, hasn't been discussed with them. So when many of these young people go through that pattern or that troubles, I take them through that journey, but make them aware that there's always room to make amends, and you have to be willing to make amends, and it needs to be honest because this is for your benefit, right? Not for other people. Mm. To make them understand that it's, it's, for, it's them. for them, not for you, not for no, there's not for anybody else. Mm. Just for and if you do the right thing, people respect you, people want to engage with you, people want to play with you, because it's the right thing. And you've done the right thing. Regardless of what others do, you do the right thing. But this is where it all went wrong. Just be careful next time. You need to make amends. You need to, and how do we make amends? Apologize. Yeah. Let them know you will not do it again. And let them know it was an accident and it will not happen again and so on and so forth. But next time, if it does happen, you will do community service. Your team will lose points. Right. So the team losing point, which is their community losing point, all of a sudden you're using the community as a way of using as a way of using as a disciplinary process. Because if the community loses point, then the community will say, John, you need to listen. You need mm. to, you know what I mean? Mm. Then the community will help you get the yeah. young person to, to educate the young person mm. even more. Because as an adult, many young people have come to the conclusion that oh the adults feel they know it all da, 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 mm. da, da, da. but if the adult has support from the community right right then it must be mm. right then then what the adult has said must be right so the community will feel oh you know what we're suffering as a result of your action you must not do it again they will mm. help you manage the situation right. and the young person wants to appease their community and to do so they manage, they basically manage themselves better and so on. And they'll do everything to make up for that lost point mm. by either trying hard to win activities or right. doing something special to earn more points. So you're using point system, point system. for the for the group or yeah, for the yeah. different teams. So you mentioned about the money last time we talked about how they manage money. Oh, and pride so, fair. Yeah. yeah. Pride fair. So <laughs> can, right. can, I, I like that, that idea. So yeah. can you talk to me about that? Well, the pride fair is a very simple concept. Um, so basically, um, for for years, we thought, you know, we were thinking about how we could teach children about the value of money. But um, so we came to an idea and the idea was to run a fair. But the fair does not run on a real money system because that would be a terrible loss if there's real money involved yeah. because they will learn nothing. Mm -hmm. So we decided to create our own money, our own fake money, mm -hmm. which we call the pride dollars. Mm -hmm. So at the end of every school holidays, the children um, discuss with their friends or, or acquaintances or other children in the program and they come, come up with their own store idea. And the idea is for them to have a store, then they go home, talk to their parents, and decide what they're going to sell at the store. Mm. They also create their own signs. So they create their own signs. They price their own items. It can be recycled items, upcycled items from home. It could be toys and games they no longer want. Right. It could be jewelry their parents that want to throw away. It could be shoes, clothing, mm. anything. anything. Real yeah. things, actually. Mm. And, um, and if some people don't have material things, 
they naturally come up with an activity idea because you can run you can run an activity store. Some can run um, what do you call it um, a service a service store in this case. Mm-hmm. Doing a nail polish, you know, nail polish and all that bit, <clears throat> a massage sh- store, you know, shoulder mm. massage, head massage. They can come up with anything, anything they want. Yeah. But in in this fair, there are there is a tax system. Just we, like the real, just like world. a real world. Yeah, there is a tax system, but the tax system only applies to sugar and technology products because the intent is to educate them more. Yeah. yeah. One is educate them about the value of money, trading, which we've done for a couple of years. Two, we want to educate them about um, healthy eating because many children like to have food stores, but they don't understand about healthy eating. So all sugar stores are taxed 50%. And that 50% is rebated to any store that does not have sugar. Mm. The same goes for the technology store. Now, those conditions apply to those two items for two reasons. One, technology has become quite a, an unfortunate burden on society. Right. It's an addiction. And for us, we say if it has an educational element, then you will not be taxed because there's a benefit in there. Right. The right. same goes for the sugar as well. But they have to come up with how it's going to be an educational oh. element. So they have to think about it. But also, this is not educating just a child. Mm. Guess who else is educated? The family. Family, yeah. And the extended family, further down. So what we teach these children doesn't just stop with the child. It goes further, mm. way further. But also think about it. When they have children, when they grow up, these are things they'll take with them as adults. And they'll pass it on to the next generation. Mm. And the beauty about it is during the fair, they trade goods for goods. Mm. Using that fake money. So if I was a child and I saw your cap, had your cap in the store, and I said, oh, I like that cap, then I will purchase that cap off you if you don't want it. Because one man's junk is another another man's treasure. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Mm. So you don't like your cap anymore because you're you're getting a new one. And you put it on the store and I can buy it off you. So instead of the children getting the parents to buy them things, they get it. They buy it. They get it from other people. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And they get to decide on their own. Exactly. Right. It's a recycling idea. It's a simple recycling idea, but turning it into an activity. And the activity is a fair. And then at the end of the fair, now this is what you're gonna like. See those products over there? Yeah. There's a lot like, like oh, <clears throat> so much here. And it's a bicycle as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. a BMX. So not like oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the bike. <laughs> you know. So. Those products were donated by the warehouse, La Bay and Torrey Street. The, the warehouse is actually mm-hmm. the main sponsor of the Pride mm-hmm. Fair. So at the end of the fair, they go into an auction. And then we have a bell for the auction as well. They go into an auction. And then they bid. They use the money they've earned and bid for those items. Mm-hmm. Now, excuse me, that teaches them two things. Number one, if you just make money for the making money's sake, you will buy nothing. You have so much money, but you will not enjoy life. But if you make the money and then squander it, you'll be broke. You have no money to go into the auction. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So there is a lesson in this. You see, if you go far right, it's bad. If you go far left, it's bad. It's always in the middle. In the middle. You have to be clever enough to keep it in the middle. So we teach the children how to spend reasonably amount reasonable amount, and still be able to save. So Mm -hmm. if you want to go on holiday 
How are you going to do that? You earn the money, but you are you going to decide? Well, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to only get. I'm just going to eat toast for the rest. Of, you know, mm-hmm. on, until I go to my holiday. Mm-hmm. That, 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 you will not be healthy enough to go for that holiday to yeah. begin with. You'll be sick. So you have to eat well, but still be able to save for that holiday. Mm-hmm. These are lessons we're teaching. We're taking from real life, downgraded it into a fair to teach them. But do you think the children know that? No. no. To them, it's a fun activity, but it's a lesson. Right, right. So that in the case of this, <clears throat> during the, <clears throat> during the, what do you call it, the fair, during the, um, the auction, the auction is also very clever as well. So during the auction, you have to be careful what you bid for. If you bid for something you don't, you don't want, well, that's a waste of time then. And money. Money, yeah. So you have to be clever. But also, the children go into partnerships. They do this on their own. They partner with other people. They say, hey, look, would you like to partner for the auction? And then they say, sure. And then they st- you, and I'll stand there watching these children communicating like business people. No, literally, communicating like business people. And I, I've seen some of the children who are, who are talking, three-way conversation, and they're talking about, right, we're going to partnership, but at the, end of the, at the end of the auction, who's going to get what? How are we mm-hmm. going to split it? And so on. So they either make a choice to split the money equally to go into the auction, or they buy the, they target the items they want before the auction, buy those, and then decide to split it. Sometimes, one or two occasions, there is a bit of a dispute. They have to go for arbitration. You yes. still have yours. That's have right. You have to go for arbitration. <laughs> they have to have mediation. It's essential because these things happen in real life. Yeah. There's always dispute in every scenario of every human being's life. It's no different from my center. So during the fair, especially, sometimes last last school holidays, we had two disputes. No, no, literally two, because then one was from two brothers who decided to go into business together. They bought all the items. One, one, one bidded for something he desperately wanted. The other one did not want to bid for it because his money was also tied in that product purchase. Yeah. So he said, no, that is our dispute. I don't want it. My money is tied in there. I said, okay. <clears throat> How much did you both agree to go into business with? They, went, they said 50-50. I said, okay. You can spend your 50% of your money mm. on the product but you have to return the 50% back to Perfect. your brother. Solve the dispute. Simple as that. <clears throat> no complexity. <laughs> is, but in the mind of a child, it's complex. Yeah, yeah, of course. But we as adults who are experienced, we have to listen to the, the dispute first and then come up with a resolution. Mm. There is no right or wrong. There's just what was agreed, what was agreed on originally. That's where we start yeah. because that's the contract. And then work from there. And then that makes things better because they go, right, fair, it's fair. Because I agree to this. It's also teaching the children to be honorable. To be honorable to their word, to be honorable to their agreements and so on. You can't change your mind in the middle of things just because it's not going your way. So all this is teaching them. In my case, um, I ran a police store last holidays. I only arrested one person for breaching the, <laughs> breaching the, contract, breaching, the br- br- breaching the rules, which was one of my staff. 
and he was billed out by a different by a child. Yeah. So a child billed them out, but asked them to pay them interest for them getting bailed out of prison. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Mm-hmm. You know who came up with that idea? As in the Pride Fair? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I can't remember to be honest. Oh, yeah. I think it was probably a collective decision from myself and the other mentors oh. because we're looking for ways to try and prepare these children for the future. See, the there's thing- no like a special grocery store. I was talking to you about that, right? <laughs> That's why, like, we're as parents, like, for me, as an example, yeah. um, we wanted our kids to be integrated across schools. Mm. Um, we don't want to put them, like, in a special education. Yeah. yeah. We don't have special <clears throat> grocery, <clears throat> special, yeah. um, I don't know, hospital or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right? It's always like everyone is it's integrated. integrated. Yeah. So that's why, oh, no, we're not going to put them, uh, put him in a special school because. Yeah. Otherwise, he's not going to learn about the daily living skills, uh, life skills and stuff. That's why. I don't, th- I don't think it's right separating and segregating or excluding young people just mm. because, they, in your, your belief, they fall in a too hard basket. I mean, what is a too hard basket? It's ridiculous. It's mm. absolute nonsense. My program is a very good example that young people can be integrated successfully. It requires some effort. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's really not a lot. In fact, it's actually enjoyable to have to integrate a child, a young person, successfully, knowing that they can thrive like any ordinary human being. And you, and, and you see, I see it every day, right before my very eyes. You know, it's nothing. It's not different. Yes, they have a different brain pattern. Yes, they have a different way of doing things compared to you. Compared to you as an individual, but excluding them does not make it better it doesn't make it better you are just you're telling them something which is they're not needed they're not wanted and you they're not you know you you don't care about their existence and you can't be telling a child that because you create doubt within them and it's wrong it's absolutely wrong and i say adults or social development agencies out there who are still doing it should be ashamed of themselves and schools in fact yeah should be really be ashamed of themselves to to actually sit there and think that the wise thing to do is remove a child because they feel they can't cater for the need yes you can just have to make two one or two changes there and the changes can be restored at a later date once the child is integrated fully because the idea is giving them time and support to Go with the flow. Mm. It's like a wave. Yeah? And in order to fall within the pattern of the wave, when you go into that wave, it will be difficult to follow the pattern. But eventually, you will follow the pattern. It's not different. Yeah, it's not different. I agree with that. And uh, it's always like, once the child is fully integrated, they will cope up. Well, exactly. They will cope. They will adapt. Mm. Children are the most, uh, the the most and the best adaptive creatures I know. They can adapt to anything far quicker than any adult possibly can. Even though we have the knowledge and experience of the world, but mm. children can adapt faster. You know, they can learn new languages if they wanted to. We can't. Yeah. You know, but you know, so it's such a shame. And especially for ones who actually have the intellect and the ability to do so faster, much faster. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You just need to change a little bit. Just a little the, bit. Allow <laughs> just, you know, and make them feel welcome. Yeah. I think many of the fear. It's not so much from the child, but sometimes from the parents. Because the parents fear so much about the world we're in. Because we're not welcoming. 
We say we are. We, we use that as an advertising ploy. We talk about it like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And yet, when push comes to shove, we mm -hmm. kick them out. We yeah. exclude them in every way we can using mm -hmm. political techniques and, mm -hmm. you know, and health and safety and all that yeah. nonsense. You know, mm -hmm. we come up with all these words, these technical words to simply mm -hmm. say no. You know? I think it's out of fear. Like, I mean, fear, mm -hmm. lack of understanding, lack mm -hmm. of education. The list goes on. But the question is, why should people like that be in our schools anyway? Why should people like that be running a social development program? People like that should be working in food shop, in food store, and move out of the way. You can't be in an education sector if you're not going to educate. Right. I agree with that. <laughs> doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. You can't go, you know, whether you are a board of trustee of a school, whether you're a principal, a teacher, a teacher aide, whether you're a social development carer, a supervisor, and all that, you list it. As long as you work with young people, you should cater for the needs of young people. Right. Period. Young people. That's it. The key word is young people. Not young people, but terms and conditions apply. Right. I only work with the ones with brown hair or blue eyes or those who speak better english and mm -hmm. so on and so you know what i mean you yes, can't just take say one thing and then tear it apart and say yes i want i want to work with this small aspect of the whole thing i mean yeah the people should, like that should not be allowed in our education sector it's ridiculous yeah it is i agree with that 100 oh sorry before we get too far away with our discussion I've seen this Help 100. Yes. Can you talk to me about Help 100? Help 100 was actually created to help young people who, for some reason, society has excluded. Oh. Neurodiverse children are, are a very good one. Hmm. Children with behavioral struggles hmm. are another one. And the list goes on. So naturally, running a, a standard program doesn't seem to draw in people who have neurodiverse children because they see... Our standard program, like every other program, the fear is there. But Help 100 has found a way to say to people, you know what? We'll cater for your child. We'll mentor them. We'll integrate them. They'll be fine. That's actually given us the opportunity to bring young people on board. So this, so the Help 100 project is actually sponsored by businesses right, in the community. Right. So uh, mostly hard businesses and some Wellington businesses mm. as well. Basically... Um, a business would uh, fund, would say to a school, I would like to sponsor some of your children who are struggling in school. And then they mm -hmm. give the funds to us, we send a mentor in to help that young person. To integrate, uh -huh. simple as that. How did you uh, invite some of the businesses here who will be participating in the help? On uh, foot. Yeah. I do, I do things the old fashioned way. So oh, I go to door to door, oh. door to door, and I've done, I've been driving, I spent uh, six weeks driving all over Wainui, Lower Hutt, uh, and Upper Hutt, talking to businesses, literally door to door, and asking for a meeting, or, and if some can't talk to me, uh, on the spot, on yeah. the spot, yeah. I come back again, yeah. and talk to them, and yeah, literally, door to door, because, um, people know about the challenges out there, but, many of these businesses, are interested in people, who have a solution, and it would be hard for them to listen to someone who has a solution if, if I write to them. Because so many people, other people write to them. So I said, why write to them if I can just skip that whole line and just, go straight to the door yeah. and knock on the door and say, I have a solution. I can help these young people. I can give them a normal life. 
they need a bit of help. Because many of these young people, the you know, their family are struggling as a result of, you know, uh, food crisis, the economy, and so on and so forth. So they need a little help. Mm. Getting, getting a business saying, look, I'll sponsor you, your child so your child can get a one-on-one support, so your child can go to a good quality, mm. you know, program and get what they, what they need from it and do well and thrive. You know, it's, it's amazing. And I appreciate, yeah. you know, I have the greatest appreciation for all the Help 100 sponsors who've come on board to support all these young people. But it's not just them because we've created our own clothing brand to raise money as well, mm-hmm. to help some of these young people whom their money can't go far to help. help the sponsorship yeah. money can't go far to help. We also created Pride Gallery, which we are... Um, we we get artists across Wellington region to create an art. That's the painting. You're That's right, the painting. Yeah, <laughs> to create an art, and then that art is uh, is auctioned, and money is raised, and it goes to supporting a young person. For me, I just I care about raising the awareness of young people who are struggling, and the young people who are struggling, they're not struggling because there's something wrong with them. They're struggling because there's something wrong in society. And that's what's causing their struggles. People call it um, crisis. Crisis, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have, let's say, you have crisis here. But for me, I don't. I don't believe the crisis is the young person. People, people say youth crisis. Mm-hmm. They're focusing on the young person causing grief to the society. Yeah. yeah because they, because they are the bad things. They are the, they are the crisis. To me, it struggles. People miss that part. If you can fix the struggle, there'll be no crisis. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Take care of the struggles. There'll be no crisis. Mm. You know what I mean? But the problem is everyone is overlooking the struggle. All they see is the crisis. They're making a big deal of the crisis. They're thinking, right, oh, they're causing grief, they're ram raiding and all that. Oh, then they blame each other. Society was so hell bent mm. on pointing fingers. I feel sorry for moms. I really do. I feel sorry for, you know, the parents who, whose children are neurodiverse because they get blamed first. If they can't blame their parents, they go to blaming the government. And the government, naturally, you know, would throw money at everybody, say, look, take the money, but it's not being targeted. You know, they just chuck the money and then sometimes the money is mis- mishandled, misused. It's not educational. There's nothing in there. Mm. Everything Pride Lands has created is not funded by the government. None of it. Not a penny. We uh, created, manufactured, established every single one of these entities that's designed to help these young people move forward. Every single one of them. And imagine if one establishment like us can do that. What is stopping the others? Who, mm. by the way, have money to do this? They have the funding or whatever, whatever, wherever the money is coming mm. from. That that's what I was hoping. I, I, when I look at your, um, your the products, the, the images, the the videos you have mm. online, like oh man, if all schools across New Zealand is doing the same kind of like teaching the kids how yeah. they do yeah. in life, teaching uh, how ma- with money yes. especially, yeah, if all the schools are mm. gonna be doing that, especially childcare, mm. uh, yeah, we're gonna be in a better position. Oh yeah, future. far yeah. better. Yeah, far far better. Yeah, and. You know, these things are possible. It's more than possible because I've proven it is possible. My team and I have proven it's more than possible. So then the, the ultimate question really is, 
what is stopping others from doing it? Yeah. That's the question, isn't mm. it? Yeah, it is. What is stopping them from doing it? It's mm. possible. I've, sh- I've demonstrated it. It can be done. I do it every day. So what's stopping others? Or what's the excuse? What's the excuse? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to rephrase some of the questions. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes what's the excuse? Yes, but mm. I guess I believe in two forms of caring. You either care and believe in helping these young people yeah <clears throat> or you just care in general there's a difference there. that's a difference yeah. you care in general because nobody really i don't believe there's a person who can who get up and say well i hate children because nobody would say that but because people care in general because that's what that's society's expectation yeah you care in general but to truly care and put an effort and do something constructive, productive, knowing its end game. And in this case, for these young people, for us, the end game is producing decent adults and individuals to right. benefit us all. Yeah. Decent. That's it. Yeah. I was actually thinking about it many times. Like, I understand this, probably me complaining. <laughs> But yeah, if I, I will be able to see. A huge improvement, not just for my mm. autistic child, but across my kids. Yeah, yeah. There will be time between me and my wife spending yeah. time together. Yeah, you know, it will be like they, because they are now uh, independent yes. at home. They can probably cook. Yeah, if you're teaching them life skills mm. like that, they can probably do whatever they want at yeah. home as long as it's safe and yeah. and uh, it's very uh, healthy for them. Mm. And I think it will be. Uh, more time for me, more time uh, with my wife, yeah. rather than just worrying about what's going to happen mm. tomorrow. Mm. Is yeah. it going to be a messy home? Yeah. <laughs> Are we gonna do more vacuuming? Because you know, yeah. you know what I mean. It's it's mm. like uh, that. So if we are able to improve the condition, uh, I'll just use that term condition, mm. the c- condition at home, mm. uh, with respect to how the kids are taught, mm. who from the childcare that they are able to now. Navigate the life skills, mm. uh, being able to independent, mm. be independent. I think it's a win-win. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, um, I met um, I met a lady from Upper Hutt City Council, and mm. she used the phrase, and that phrase was, she says, she she sees Pridelands as the third place, and um, which was quite an unusual phrase. Never heard of the third place. She said the first place is home. Well, that's, you know, that's that's the beginning. That's the love, the caring, and so on. The second place is school because you need education to be mm. able to get into the real world and apply those skills and so on and so forth. But she believes the most important place for her, especially in this day and age, is what she calls the third place. And she sees Pride Lands as a third place because we provide the glue that connects the beginning and the school. Because what Pride Lands does is things that they learn at school, for example. They're all theory, very few practicals. But what we do is we have put the life skills around everything. So many of these young people now know how to, you know, now can apply chemistry to food. Right, because of the mixing th- part of it. Right, the, right. You know, mm. and now they're learning about money management, which is something they do at school. Maths, they do maths, but we've translated it into something a lot more practical, which relates to life, real life. So Pride Lens has is got them a lot closer mm. to what their society, their reality will be. 
So you have the school teaching them these things in theory. All we've done is taking that, taking what's from the house, put it together, and translate it into something that will one day be a reality for these young people. And if you look at it as well, for the, you know, when it comes to the caring side, we actually care enough that we educate these children. We are patient, we are there, we understand them, we see to their needs as individuals, but also teach them to also be a collective. So they know that they can build their confidence within themselves, but also a sense of respect. So they have the respect for themselves and for each other as well. And then and giving them basically the intent is not to tell children how they should live their lives, but to ex to give them all the experiences available. Because one day they'll get to the door. The door is, uh, what, 18, isn't it? Right, when right. you're legally an adult. Yeah, yeah. One day they'll get to that door. And then they can decide, once they turn 18, what are you going to do with all the experiences you've been given? Right. You can't, you can't tell somebody what to do. I, I, I make sure my team are very careful about that. I say, no, you're not. You, you, we give them the experiences. And we give them access to all Option. the knowledge, the options possible. That is why anything we don't know, we take them on a trip. So that they go and learn it. So they've been to Kibosh to learn about food distribution. Yeah. They've been to Weta Workshop mm -hmm. to learn about prop creation. Yeah. They've been to Victoria University to learn about architecture and design. They've been to uh, a hair salon to learn about how to take care of their head and shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been mm -hmm. literally been to so many businesses who yeah. taught them so much <clears throat> because these are things we can teach them. Right. So we take them to the professionals to teach them. And then when they get to that door, to make the decision as to how I'm going to utilize all the skills I've acquired as an adult. So how do you select the location that you're going to, like, go to where? How do you select mm. the locations that you're going to go? Or Oh, well, basically, so the intent is to teach the children about props and design. We can do props and design. Ah, you, you put them in a That's place right. who does So precisely, yes, yes. Okay. So we say to the children, right, would you like to learn about props and designs? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Would you like to go to water? Yeah. We talk to Weta, mm. we take them there. Right. Last week, they learned about mm. the, the history of pasta. Right. Mm. Mm. From an Argentinian family. Because as it turns out, some of the history of pasta is not just from Italy. It did not originate fully from Italy. It came from Argentina. Ah. That's right. I know. Yeah. Hey, I know that. <laughs> so you know scary. what I mean? Yeah, there you go. Oh. And so there's a restaurant. Um, in town, forgotten what it's called, and um, beautiful mm. family. They right. made all this variety of pasta. How to make it with, with your hand? Mm. You know, kneading with a rolling pin and with the machine and so on. It's yeah. actually it's actually on our YouTube clip. You can watch it. Yeah, and and yeah, and showing them the different ways of making pasta and the design, mm. the long ones, the skinny one, the big ones, the bow tie one. The children loved it. it was such an experience. Wow. And he gave them a beautiful history lessons around it mm. while he was doing it with them. Sometimes it's small things, small ideas. Just it's, small things. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially that like mm. Argentina. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. I mean, and the man, because he's from Argentina, he has his accent. Right. But that did not even put the children off. The children were listening to him. Mm. They heard him. But that's the beauty of our children. Because they are accepted. Because in their mind, it doesn't matter where you're from. Or your accent. Or your accent. <laughs> you are teaching us something. And that's all they cared about. Yeah, yeah. They respected him enough to do, to listen, follow, and they had such a good time. Mm, mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, it's amazing. It really is. And you see, this, like I said, these things are possible. They're more than possible.
you know, this is giving these children an opportunity to excel, to be more. The purpose, in my opinion, the purpose of our existence as humans, when we have children, is to make sure our children can not just survive, but can thrive right. and do well. That's the end. For me, growing up in a village, that's what, that's, that was basically it. Your children are your lifeline. One day the sun will set on your time and will rise with them. So right. the aim is to give them everything possible so that they can do well. The thing people don't realize, they believe that money is everything. And for that reason, giving just handing, handing your inheritance to them without that um, experience, without that conditioning and, and sense of value for money, they'll just squander it and throw it away. But if you teach mm. them, if you educate them, if you give them the life skills and so on, they'll be better in every way. You can even strip them off of that money. They can still... They still thrive. Yeah. I mean, I left home when I was mm. 16. I no money. I built this one. my own. Do you see what I mean? My parents, my, grand, my grandparents, my extended family, gave me everything I needed to survive. And I guess the stubbornness to do it. So naturally, I took all that, gave up my inheritance. I did. I gave up my inheritance. I told my, my parents, I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything. You earn those, are yours to keep. I'll earn mine. So I did. That's it. If my sons, because I have two boys, if my sons can do that, then I've done my job as a father. I've absolutely done my job as a father. If a parent is confident enough that they can strip their children of their inheritance and they'll still thrive, then they've done their job. Right. Get what you mean. Yeah. They've done their job, period. But if you fear that they, they can't survive without your inheritance, then there's something wrong. My, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've heard this before. My grandfather has told me that a couple of times, that you have to prepare your children for your death. No parents, I don't care who you are, you're going to live forever. So you might as well prepare them. Many parents have this belief that they're going to be there and protect the children. It's a terrible mistake. You have to educate them now. That's why many families and families um, bring their neurodiverse children to me so that I can prepare them. Because the thing is, if the world is not as that as welcoming, right, and they go into <clears throat> other environments which they may struggle in, yeah, at least with me, I'm willing to accept them. I'm willing to prepare them so that when they go into that environment, and whether they like it or not, they have no choice. They will go into that environment sooner or later, but it will happen. Yeah. So a matter of time. It's a matter of time, <laughs> isn't it? So all I do. Everything I do is preparing them my own way. Just preparing them, giving them the tools. It's just tools. It's just handing them tools. That's it. That's what I'm doing. Tools that I can't give them, I get somebody else to give it to them. So to me, everyone in Wellington is nothing like a village to me. Right. So I am basically saying I could be the father of Pride Lands. But as the father, I can't give my children everything. So I'll send them to their uncle. Right. Who perhaps you know does you know runs a pasta business, 
to teach them about the journey of pasta and how it's made. And or take them to hair chair, teach them how to clean themselves properly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. In my village. It doesn't have to be all of you, right? Exactly. Yeah. In my village, everyone had a hand in raising me. Everyone. My uncle included. My uncle, actually not uncle, uncles included. My cousins, my nephew, my extended, everyone had a hand in raising me. That's why I had an advantage in life. And I'm giving these children the same advantage. Giving them access to everyone. everything. Yeah. That's amazing. I think, are you going to expand? You should. <laughs> <laughs> you should put, maybe That's how I see it's, it. I mean, like, it's, not, it's not about expansion. It's about getting it right. Yeah. I mean, like, if there are more centers, like, yeah. Right? you know, it's amazing. Well, wow. for the time being, for the time being, I like the centers we have. Because we're delivering for Central Wellington, we're delivering ah, right. there, and we're delivering in the heart. Mm. Eventually, I look to build a center in Porirua, because I want Wellington to benefit from it, and I want to ensure that the wheel will continue to spin. Right. But I want to make sure that I do it in a way that even in my absence, because my time will come one day. Yeah. And I need to make sure that in my absence, it's still going to run. It's still going to run the way I've created it. Mm-hmm. And that it will grow. It will continue to grow because it's not going to change. Prime has been changing for years. It's been evolving for years. Based on the surroundings. Based on the surroundings. Mm-hmm. So when something changes in the surroundings, it changes. So I'll give you one small example. Recently, you've heard about um, young people refusing to go to school. That's frequent now. That's recent. Right? That's right, yeah. And very frequent. We've come up with a way to solve that. We just have to implement it. Ah. That's it. So it's a matter of action, right? It's a matter of action. So we're waiting to have a conversation. But first we need to make sure that what we're currently doing will continue to spend. So that we can then focus on that and get many of these children to school. Mm-hmm. We have a way forward. Right, right. So what activities do you have um in the succeeding days, months or year? Anything? Oh, well, the biggest activity we're doing at the moment is our adventure programs. Children love adventure. Yeah, that's right. It's Adventure Weekend. Yeah. It's Adventure Weekend. Um, We're doing... um, So the Adventure Weekend is a a midterm break. It's it's basically respite. Because while parents love their children, we all need a break from time to time. School holidays is the thing parents look forward to. But it's not necessarily a break. It gives parents time to work around the clock. Then the children come back. But we've introduced a midterm break in the middle of the term. And it's four times a year in, in each season. We take the children on an adventure program where uh, the Upper Hat one, for example, the Upper Hat edition, they did uh, wild water rafting. They did upsailing. Right, right. And um, yeah, they did a lot of adventure programs, which was quite exciting. And then um, the, the one we just did recently, which is the Pororua one, they did go-karts. They went to a train yard. There was a private collector. Went mm. to see their trains. Ah, yeah, About yeah. 38, 38 trains he had there. Um, we went to the trampoline park. And we went to the restaurant and had three-course meal. It was really good. Oh. <laughs> so they leave on a Friday. And then they come back on a Sunday. So during that period, parents can choose to do whatever they want. They right, can right. spend time with other family members, <laughs> go on a date, you know, relax. And then their children will, will mm. love the adventure weekend. They mm. want to go. You know, they really want to go because they'll be spending time with their peers. 
and spending time with us as mentors and doing some fun stuff. And of course, the Perua one, which is coming up, which is at the end of August, we are going to forge a wand oh. out of steel. So we're going to put our hot stuff in it. That's interesting. That'll be very fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, and we're doing um, paintball as well, which will be quite exciting. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's um, it's good. Oh. And my favorite, my favorite program as well, my favorite adventure program is um, the Pride Escape. So next year, the children are going to Topo and Rotorua for mm. one whole week. And uh, yeah, it's be, it's, it's be, it'll be fun and exciting. Oh. Like this year gone, which is this summer, they went to Westport in the South Island. And it was really good. So right. yeah. So how are you ensuring the parents are comfortable with like... Uh, with uh, your children, leaving the children with us? Yes, and safety. What can yeah. I say? Trust. Trust. Okay. Trust. Because many of these families see me as a family, as part like, of the family. So I'm basically the uncle who, if the children are causing too much grief, they send me, they send them to me. <laughs> because somehow, they listen to me. They will not listen at home and so on and so forth, but they listen to me. But what I do is I teach them to listen. Then I take them home, teach them to listen at home, but also teach the parents. How to interact properly. How to engage, engage. them. Yeah, engage. On that level. Yeah. Because sometimes, it's nothing short of a miscommunication. So you have parent and child. Sometimes the conversations are not like this. It's like that. All like this. So yeah. my aim is to try and line them up. Yeah. That's what I do. Especially for mm, traditionally as a dad. Mm. I want, I mean, like, there's this, like, concept of, like, because they're children, mm -hmm. you feel like yeah. you're on, yeah. on top of things, and then no, you shouldn't be talking to me about that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just don't have yeah. the right. Term well, I mean, the children have to be respect goes both ways. I respect the children I work. With. If I'm wrong, I tell them I'm wrong. I'm, I have no shame right. in saying I'm wrong because how can you educate children to be res to be respectful and to say they're wrong if you don't accept you're wrong when you're wrong? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a double standard. If you do something like that, you lose trust. Yeah? You lose trust very quickly. But if the children realize, oh, wow, Moses is still willing to accept his wrong, it doesn't become a big deal. But the moment you lose trust, then it becomes a big deal. Then you have a problem on your hands. Then this is what happens. Right. But the aim is to not necessarily, because, not necessarily be on the same wavelength. But hear each other. But make sure that the child understands that as an adult, you can't do what I do. You do what you need to do. Yes, we will listen to each other, but our action is different. Right. Do you understand what mm -hmm. I mean? You need to explain it in a way they can understand. Because to children, they say, well, why are you drinking Coke? Why can't I drink Coke? Yeah. For example, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because in my center, when I'm drinking uh, ginger beer, none of the children will make a fuss about it because they know, right, Moses is drinking a ginger beer because he's an adult, he can afford a ginger beer, we can't. Yeah. All, all they can do is say, Moses, can I have a sip? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they are asking. They're showing respect by asking. Sometimes I'll allow them to have a little sip or I'll simply just say no. I'll say, during last supper, you can, you, I'll buy you guys drinks and you can mm. have it there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so they respect me on that level. So for me, it's not what I do. We will communicate on the same level. But what I do is different from what you should be doing. 
right, right. very different. So it's making sure that you explain that in a clear, concise manner. These days, young people feel, right, since we communicate on the same level, what you, what you do, I should do too. Now, make sure you stand your grounds on that and make sure that they understand that. Yeah, no, it's not. I, as an adult, can go out at a certain time of the night. Child, can't. Period. Period, yeah. The rules are to be, like, firm. 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 Firm, yeah. firm yeah. and fair. Oh, fair. Yeah. Firm, firm and fair. fair. And once they understand that fairness, they'll listen. Oh. But you have to explain it. Because the fact is... They cannot implement it without explaining. Well, they, can't under- they don't understand. Right. You know what I mean? It's like telling a child... Saying to a child, a child does this. Mm. And then you say to them, don't do that. Bad child. But you don't explain to them why, why? it's bad. They will never understand because tomorrow, don't do it again. <laughs> the next day, don't do it again. Until somebody actually explains why. why? Right. Key word is why. Mm. You see what I mean? Mm. But then there is something my grandfather always said, which was, the young. Never do as they're told. And that's true. It doesn't matter how many times you turn. At some point, that light switch will turn on. But you have to repeat it. You have to keep repeating it. You have to be consistent. The moment you go out of character, they're going to get confused. And then they'll keep doing it. Because something has changed. But if you're consistent and you say, right, it is wrong, this is why. It is wrong. This is why. why. This okay. is wrong. This is why. They'll connect it both. It's more planting it in the Planting head. it. Yeah. Repetition. Repetition. Yep. They'll, con- they'll make that connection. It's almost like a live wire. Two live wires going off to connect it to, to get power. But you have to keep bringing it close. There's resistance, but it will connect at some point. Right. Amazing. Any final message you want to uh, tell? I think people need to be a lot more open to young people. Mm. They need to see young people for what they, they are. Young people. That's it. End of story. Whether they're neurodiverse, whether they're neurotypical, whether they're something else, doesn't matter. They're young. And being young means they lack experience. It's our, it's our job, our role, our responsibility to educate them and to use every asset available to us to do so. So, Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Cool. Do you... <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>